Healthcare is rapidly changing. Innovative technologies and new treatment paradigms are changing the way we tackle the world's pervasive health issues. I'm Alex Godin with Oxner Health in New Orleans, Louisiana. Join me as we go inside Louisiana's largest healthcare system, where we discuss new ideas in confronting these healthcare challenges. We talk to thought leaders and healthcare experts to explore the latest innovations in patient care. Welcome to Innovation Health. If you're a parent, the unique challenges of caring for children during this time of uncertainty can leave you stressed and worried. Children have needs that must be met for proper development and health, but meeting those needs under these circumstances are challenging to say the least. Is it safe to return to school, daycare, or to have play dates? What about the inflammatory disease that we're hearing about now? How susceptible to COVID-19 are children? In this two-part episode, I talk with Dr. William Lenars, System Chair of Pediatrics for Oxner Health. Dr. Lenars has been leading the care for pediatric patients at Louisiana's largest healthcare provider and has been helping shape Oxner's response to COVID-19 in children. He's also been a valuable resource for the community as schools and organizations looking for guidance during the pandemic consult with him on how to best return to operations. Thank you so much, Dr. Lenars, for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you because the last few episodes we've done have been focused on COVID, but just kind of in general or for the adult patient. So just kind of the first question, just kicking things off is talking about just COVID-19 in children. How is it different from adults? What are the symptoms? What are the key things to know there? The most important thing for parents to realize is that the evidence remains to be true that children are much less severely impacted by COVID-19 than adults in lots of ways. But, but the most essential is that children far and away do not get nearly as severely ill as, um, as adults do. And far fewer of them even get symptomatic at all with COVID. And why is that? Just curious why they would be less symptomatic. So we don't understand that. This is a novel virus, as you know, and the science behind it isn't mm -hmm. 100% known, but as this very, very uncommon and serious complication in children called pediatric multi-system inflammatory disease associated with COVID, is that has emerged and in the adult experience as well, we have seen sort of these immune modulated storms of the body sort of combating the virus after the initial infection. So there have been many adult reports of people appearing to be on the mend and also all of a sudden getting very, very sick with all kinds of inflammatory markers going up. And then there's also been a body of literature, very speculative around maybe children don't get sick like adults because they are in the period of their lives where they're developing immunity. They have very active immune systems and we are constantly immunizing them as well. So maybe that has something to do with the lack of severity of COVID in children. 
But the the multi-system inflammatory disease is a syndrome that has now been recognized, you know, nationally and internationally. Uh, here in Louisiana, uh, we at Oxnard have taken care of five of the six reported cases. And this is something that occurs well down the road from the initial infection. In fact, I will tell you that several of our patients didn't even know that they had COVID. The parents didn't know they had COVID. And then they went on to develop a um, sort of, well, it's called multi-inflammatory. So you can see anything from abdominal pain to rashes to conjunctivitis, pink eye, sores in the mouth, joint pain. And the most severe manifestation is inflammation of the heart muscle or the heart arteries. And then that can lead to heart failure or rhythm problems that are life-threatening. I would emphasize again to parents that this is incredibly rare and nowhere near the frequency, nowhere near the frequency of what we would see of children getting seriously ill from influenza. And to go all the way back to your question about you know, what, why aren't children as affected, do you think it's related to immune-mediated um, dysfunction when the inflammatory syndrome occurs? But we think that that amped up immune function and the receptors for those you know, immune modulators uh, may be responsible in part for why kids don't get sick by and large with COVID. And even though they aren't displaying symptoms or feeling ill, they're still able to carry the virus or spread the virus, correct? That is correct. So children like adults can have a COVID infection and be completely asymptomatic. We think that people, including kids, are most infectious when they in fact do have symptoms. And it appears to be that the virus is transmitted most easily um, right before and during the fever period of the illness and the sort of acute respiratory. And then the transmission um, goes, seems to go down. But there was speculation at the beginning of the COVID epidemic that children could be these sort of silent carriers, the vectors, mm-hmm. what, what some uh, literature referred to as the super spreaders. And that does not appear to be the case. While it is definitely possible that an asymptomatic child can spread the, um, the infection, as we get more and more data from around the world about children and COVID, and especially population and epidemiology studies, it may, I don't want to say it is, but it may turn out to be true that children, children actually transmit COVID at a lower rate. Oh, wow. So this is a very hopeful finding coming out of, so far, Australia in a school study there and a whole population study in Iceland where um, basically everyone in the population uh, was tested and um, children may there, again, appear to transmit less easily or less commonly than you would predict based on the population overall. So looking um, at the multi-system inflammatory stuff going on, I know it's rare, but it just really is all over the news. So you can't help but have a lot of questions around that. For me, I'm just curious, is this something that you see in children with other viruses or in other things, or is this really emerged more with in relation to COVID? So there are things that 
clinical entities that kind of look like this. And the most common one is Kawasaki disease. Kawasaki is a multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome, the cause of which is actually unknown. We know that it's immune-mediated somehow. And it involves fever for five days or more with no other explanation, and then a multiple array of inflammation in the rest of the body, including some of the same things I mentioned, like red eyes without a, a pussy discharge, like you might see in a child with a viral pink eye, um, cracking of the lips, redness of the tongue, um, swollen glands, rashes, swollen joints, and the most serious um, aspect of Kawasaki's is the same as the most serious aspect of the COVID-associated PIMS, and that is um, that the heart arteries can be become inflamed and dilated, um, and after that dilatation, they can become narrowed as they heal. So um, we actually have a very protocolized to treating kids with Kawasaki to prevent them from getting these coronary artery uh, dilatations. So there's a lot about Kawasaki's that looks like the pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome associated with COVID, uh, but I, it is not clear that they are the same thing. And this would be something that could have long-term implications on a child's health? It could, but like everything about COVID, we don't know because we have no history with it. It's a novel infection. Um, I will tell you that the five children that Oxner Hospital for Children has taken care of so far um, have all gone home or will go home. There may still be one child left in the hospital um, and um, have done absolutely fine, including a child who was so severely affected that they went into cardiac arrest. Oh, wow on the day that they were admitted. So we have seen great outcomes of, of our care. And so in our very limited experience, this does not seem to be uh, more dangerous and it may be less dangerous when managed properly than Kawasaki syndrome. Thinking of implications in long-term health for a pediatric patient, what do you think the impact of COVID-19 will have on children? Have you seen a delay in care and, or delay in vaccines for kids? Um, yes and yes. You know, initially, all the states across the country, and especially Louisiana, because we were really hotspot number two after the Pacific Northwest, invoked um, very stringent uh, restrictions on people coming to the hospital and we, we worked very quickly to message people, you know, not to come in unless there was a life-threatening illness because we didn't want people exposed to COVID. At the same time, we were learning to manage and really in the, if you fast forward, the hospital and the clinics are probably now the safest place you can go. I, I would tell families it is it's way less risky to bring your child to the pediatrician. The cleanest place. <laughs> than it is the grocery store because we have, you know, had to work very quickly to understand all the mitigation tactics. And we became really the experts in implementing those. So we think our clinics are very safe. We are um, concerned that children have missed well-child checks for two reasons. 
One is if their well child checkup included immunizations, the last thing we want is to rapidly expand the population of kids who are susceptible to treatable but serious illness uh, and to have a wave of measles or pertussis or mumps during the COVID pandemic. Um, it would certainly complicate things um, because they all manifest with fevers and it just would, is really allowing something to occur. All of those diseases when unmitigated by vaccine are more dangerous than COVID appears to be. And so we would encourage parents to get um, with us really immediately to, if your child has for any reason missed an immunization, we try to continue well child checkups that did involve immunizations all the way through COVID for just that reason. Everything is a risk benefit balance. The second reason we are worried about children missing well child care is that is their time for their assessment, whether, you know, if they're young, it could be every three months. If they're school age, it's every year. But it's really important to catch anything new developmentally that may be changing onset of illnesses and diseases that happen in childhood like diabetes and inflammatory bowel disease and that kind of thing. So we don't want to miss any of that, all of which there are treatments for because people are staying home afraid to bring their right. child in for their well child care. So last episode, we talked through... Um what the experience of attending a routine visit for an adult patient would be like. Can you talk through the steps a parent or, and their child might expect to see when they're going back in for well-child visits? What, what differences, what protocols might have changed? So it, it, everything has been adjusted to mitigate for COVID. For example, when you, we have always had online appointment making and online check-in, and we're just really pushing that out to families because it's touchless and they don't have to come in the space at all. Um, when you arrive at most of our pediatric clinics, you actually can be checked in and then wait in your car if you would rather not wait in the waiting room. If you do wait in the waiting room, the seating is spaced out and it is continuously cleaned and sanitized. Then obviously, um, we are trying to keep kids who have illness, especially febrile illness, that's fever, separate from kids with, uh, who are there for well care. So in our large pediatric sites uh, or groupings of sites, we have separated well child clinics from sick clinics and we have different locations. So, you know, you're oh, wow. not going to have a well child, child, um, uh, you know, contacting a sick child in our smaller clinics or where we don't have multiple sites in the same geographic region, then what we do is we, we see well child clinics, well child children in the morning and we see sick children in the afternoon. And then after the sick children, there's really a big deep cleaning and it sits overnight. So that's really playbook, honestly, right out of the CDC's uh, guidance. Um, but we've been executing on that really since the beginning. Make sure to join us on the second part of this episode, where we talk to Dr. Lenars about the impact of COVID-19 on children's health and development, and what a return to school and daycare will potentially look like. For more information about children's health care at Oxner, 
visit oxner.org slash four children. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Alex Godian with Oxner Health. I'll see you next time on Innovation Health.